0: You're listening to The B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. Now, if you're a content marketer at a small or a medium-sized company, chances are you're competing against some marketing teams with much larger budgets and headcounts. But of course, that doesn't mean that you can't hang with larger competitors or even outcompete them. My guest today is no stranger to leading small content marketing teams and kicking ass with small marketing budgets. Harold Sgebron Zukovs, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You're head of marketing at a company called CredoLab. So tell us a little bit about CredoLab and about your role there. So yeah,
1: I'm a head of marketing at CredoLab. So Credo Lab is a behavioral data analytics solution for better risk, fraud, and marketing decisions. So I am responsible for everything that's connected to marketing the solutions and then educating the regions and markets on these behavioral data solutions.
0: Okay. And now you have a relatively small marketing budget in this role, correct? and a pretty small marketing team is it just is it pretty much you or do you have other people on the team besides yourself
1: we are four people on the team uh four it's people. quite compact yeah it's quite it's quite quite mm-hmm. a compact team but that's something i have been used to all of my career mm-hmm. i have worked with i would say smaller marketing teams and and but you know that helps you sometimes move faster
0: yeah. So, well, let's let's get into that, right? Like there there are some advantages to to having a small team. So, well, let's just start right there. What are some of those advantages? You can move faster. That's one. What else?
1: From my experience, you can move faster. Yeah. It's easier to explore a new channel because when you mm-hmm. have like a really really big marketing teams entering a new channel can be exceptionally I would say hard, but yeah, challenging because when you have a larger team, it might take a lot more time. And actually that's the thing where smaller and medium-sized companies have the upper hand on larger companies. Yes, they have a larger budget, larger team and larger resources, but their decision-making and movement speed is usually where you
0: can... And why is... This might seem like a dumb question, but why is being able to make faster decisions a good thing? Like, how, how does that actually help you win?
1: For example, let's say you want to target your niche or buyer persona, and you have explored what your competitors do, and you have found that they, let's say, just for example, use an Instagram channel to just promote their company as some like a good place to work at but you maybe have found that that audience hangs out in that channel and the competitor is losing that channel because they use it for something else not for a thing that you could use it for and when you start doing it even if they notice most likely it will take them quite amount of time to make a decision from a manager level to the head level because they need to go through a process of approving it, of mm-hmm. doing it. So when you have a smaller team, you can just, like, you know, if your research shows that it's something you need to test, you can just go out and test it. So you can move a lot quicker.
0: Now, let, let me play devil's advocate for a second. I mean, like that, that makes a lot of sense, but let me, let me play devil's advocate. So let's say you do that. And it takes this other, the larger company, a lot more time to kind of get their stuff together. But, but eventually they do and they look and see, oh, okay, we've been doing this wrong. We need to change how we're doing it. It takes some time, but eventually they do make that decision, figure it out and put all their resources and people on it. I mean, is that going to sort of doom you if you're the small competitor with fewer resources or does getting there first give you an advantage that's going to last?
1: Well, in a lot of cases, getting there first gives you an advantage. Of course, also, you can take over in time if your content is better. So in the long term, it still depends on the content. But in the short term, getting there first also gives you an advantage. Okay. So when the when the competition tightens for the channel, so where when more companies do similar things, targeting similar audiences in the same channel as your competitors, then yeah, then to get an upper hand, you definitely need to be better with the content, what you do with the content. But when you are the first one, you have the advantage of being the first one. So you can leverage the channel more for your advantage with less competition.
0: Yeah. Okay. So at least for a time, if you're first, you can kind of have it to yourself a little bit and kind of stake your claim, stake your position before it gets more crowded.
1: Yeah. Well, for corporate companies, you know, I have worked in some corporate companies. It might may take years. Just how Mm -hmm. decisions happen and how long it takes. Or, for example, even if they get to it, it's not necessarily the best way of doing that, what they want to do there. And then changing that, again, for them takes quite a lot of time so basically you as a smaller team in a smaller company you have an advantage like pretty big advantage
0: okay right like we said already you can just move faster and 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 i and i imagine too if if it's not working out then just get out it doesn't take a whole committee to decide that you can just cut bait and and try something different
1: yeah and usually smaller teams also mean smaller cost not that much time of like of your team's time spent on that channel. Yeah. So
0: so, so you, you mentioned too that another strategy is just creating better content, seeing what your, the larger competitor is doing and saying, okay, let's, let's do this, but do it better. Which leads to another question. Are there advantages for small teams when it comes to creating better content?
1: Yeah, well, it depends on the resources inside the team. It depends how small the team is because mm-hmm. sometimes you really need to look at the channels and look at the possibilities and potential what you could achieve in those channels. Because for mm-hmm. example, where uh, when I was in a company where we were selling mm-hmm. in the market, there were some channels with, which might have had a potential. But you know, just thinking from a point of if they, like, you know, if you just think of if they move there like will they be able to take you over to, and your work will no. just like being all just for for nothing when they do then you know you might look at the channels that are not that maybe used but if they don't have that channel but you know that the audience is there then that might be even a bigger advantage for you because they might not even end up in that channel but mm-hmm.
0: it, okay. it,
1: it really depends on the research and your target audience.
0: Yeah, okay. So it's always going to depend on, on the audience for sure. I guess I was thinking about, you know, I worked at a, a large company. I was a copywriter at a large medical device company for about five years. And what you're describing is exactly the case. You know, everything took a really long time to do. And creating a piece of content could take months, years even depending on the size of it. And you might think on the one hand, well, the more time you spend on a piece of content, the better it's going to be because you're just nailing down all the details and you know lavishing it with so much attention. But I found at least in that experience that the opposite was often true. That the more people that put eyes on it, the more rounds of revisions it went through, the more it ended up being sort of content by committee. And it would... And at least in my opinion, the things that were most interesting about a given article or a blog post would kind of get washed out by the time it was done because it just took so damn long. Whereas opposed to now for my company, Conversa, you know, I I write a lot of the stuff myself and there are some disadvantages to that, but I just feel like I can do it faster, take some chances, be more creative without, you know, eight levels of management watching my every move. You know what I mean? So it would seem like maybe yeah, there are yeah. some advantages to if you're a smaller team, just be able to create individual pieces of content that are more interesting. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and that's true. And actually, you know, actually in most of the cases, the faster you move, the, the, the higher the chance that you can get from that channel what you want to get from it. You know, it's usually either... Potential customers, interest, brand awareness, because the more time you take to kind of perfect something, the higher the chance that you will be late to the party, that that channel, either the algorithms will change or everyone will get sick of the content that's already been there. So, you know, it's kind of, you want to publish great content, but you also don't want to do it when it's not anymore like when the client is not anymore keeping an attention to that channel so you kind of need to leverage those both sides you need to move quickly as possible but also provide as good content as you can in the position that you are at that moment
0: yeah okay what about email super low cost x accessible to anybody when you, when you're, what's your strategy for email marketing? Because it seems like that's a good channel when you don't have a big budget and the, and you have a small team.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good it's a really good channel, and actually, you can convert quite a lot of people just having them in like just sitting them through the newsletters month to month, of course. The newsletter content depends on the audience, but newsletters actually convert people. It makes them act, speak with you, react. In a lot of cases, they don't interact with the newsletter itself directly. But when you track back what they have done, you see that they have opened the newsletter. They have read a few of them. Maybe they haven't clicked or haven't applied. But when time passes, with time, the more newsletters they receive, the actual chance that they might interact with your product increases. So I have found that mm-hmm. actually newsletters is a pretty good good way of doing that. You know, in, in, in newsletters, what do you usually share? Blog content. I think that mm-hmm. also a good piece of, of content to share in newsletter is a thought leadership. For example, right now, mm-hmm. thought leadership is very important very popular things. So what you can do, you can share thought leadership newsletter or like any like yeah. media placements that your company has. Like it sometimes doesn't even have to be something very groundbreaking. It just needs to be quality content.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I send a weekly newsletter. I've been doing that for about six months and it's, I, I can testify, at, you know, small sample size, just me, but pretty much do it just on my own and it's totally doable if you keep it simple. You know, if you don't try to to cram too much information into a newsletter and what I found is just drawing on just day-to-day week to week, you know, what am I learning in my business that I think could be useful to the people I'm sending the newsletter to. And these are people in fact that I've interviewed on this very show that, you know, have some maybe some level of interest in podcasting and so I try to put stuff in the newsletter that's not necessarily just about podcasting, but just here's how we, like I sent one recently, here's how we find guests for this podcast. Here's how we keep the pipeline full. And you could use the same method for, you know, if you have a webinar series or if you just want to talk to people for any reason, it doesn't have to be for a podcast. So I find like just useful kind of practical how-to stuff like that. I find tends to work pretty well. And that, yeah. I imagine a small team, even just a team of one could make that work without too much trouble.
1: Yeah, well, at the beginning, you can even be uh, like, you know, it depends on the resources. But at the beginning, when the team is really, really small, like one to two people, you can even just send like a simple plain text that's very basic talking about the new blog post that you have. And that's a good starting point. And then from that, working your way, you know, testing, changing subject lines and testing what works and what doesn't work. Because from the newsletters, what I found actually the most important thing is for people to open them and to read them. If you do that, that's already a win. Of course, if they engage with it, it's even better. But they don't necessarily have to to then afterwards be interested to speak with you about potentially being your clients.
0: Yeah, I get it. Right. And and I think that's because as we know, as as we well know know now, most of the time, like your ideal buyers are not ready to buy from you. In right. Like they're going to be ready when they're ready. And so you just need yeah. to stay on their radar, stay in front of them so that when they are ready, they remember you. And that's essentially what it's all about, as I understand it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's why you know one of the most important things, at least for me, in a newsletter is this is the subject line, because that's basically the thing that puts you in front of them. So yeah. newsletter content is important, but without a good subject line that interacts with them, like the newsletter doesn't really have a purpose because it never gets opened
0: right right and uh, if if no one's opening your newsletter then you then it's like you're not even sending it you, you might as well not and absolutely and and there's like a whole art and science to writing subject lines right i mean there are you know people who specialize in that and and will help you do it for sure another question so we've been talking a lot about things you can do as a small marketing team to compete but there are limits to that right What are some things that you probably shouldn't be doing or try to do when competing against much larger companies?
1: Well, from my experience, what I can tell, it sometimes goes against the marketer's understanding. But in a lot of cases, I have found that best practices work the best if you have the resources. When you don't have the resources, Mm -hmm. you need to do things that might might not always fall under the best practices. What I mean, you know, for example, when I worked with microwave radios at that time, it was like five years ago. At that time, Google Ads already, the best practices was to keep it clean and as, like not to overdo with campaigns. But as we had a lot smaller budget than, than, the, than the competitors, I overcomplicated it. Like I went completely against best practices. I overcomplicated it so much that even for me it was pretty complicated to control it. But because of the how how much how much resources we had against the competitors, it worked. It like increased the amount of contacts like two or three times mm-hmm. just by doing that and doesn't changing the budgets. The thing is afterwards like it's hard to take it over and a lot of other the other downsides to the tactics that it's not the best practices but it works in a sense that it gives you a result and the same goes for the channels you know at that time what i what i found was that there is an ideal data points for channels like Instagram and Facebook and if you achieve them for long enough the probability of virality of a post virality increases mm-hmm. so we produced from 30 to 60 posts per month on Instagram Facebook and Twitter and and it ended up with us getting a viral post on Facebook organically without anything, without any Mm -hmm. ads, everything else. It went viral in two days. So it yeah, it just it just exploded and the Instagram we like we just posted pictures of microwave radios in the nature. nature. And engineers Mm -hmm. like that and uh, we Mm -hmm. even draw like contacts from that just by posting pictures, but technically doing Every single detail correctly from what I discovered from the data that should work. It like took half a year of work of just doing those things to then get to a result. Interesting. So, but you did get the result. So, yeah.
0: That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. By the way, by the way, what is, what is a microwave radio?
1: Well, a microwave radio is, you know, there are these telephone towers, and at the end of those you have these microwave radios that basically send the signals that allows you to use 3G 4G and 5G on your phones so basically mm-hmm. we sold those to engineers and 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 it was like a fun a fun ride selling through content and through ads to a group of people that is very constructive and they don't like errors because they are engineers so everything like you couldn't Mm. have any grammatical errors you couldn't have any Mm. illogical any illogical visuals or something like that because in Mm -hmm.
0: engineers mind
1: they only have that everything works perfect because they work with quite complicated tech and we, before I joined, there was a case where they launched a visual, which basically, from an engineering perspective, didn't make sense. There was a circle and a wrench. But as you know, you can't turn a circle with a wrench. And <laughs> right. engineers reached back to them and said, like, what are you doing? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, so yeah, that's the place where I learned to be perfect in everything you do. Because mm. if you make a mistake, they will notice it and they won't like it
0: right that, That's a really good reminder to remember who your audience is, really know your your audience that's That's kind of funny, but also a really good reminder. So well, we've covered a lot of ground. What's the main takeaway for our listeners?
1: I would say that the main takeaway is to to always know and research your sure. audience first then understand your competitors, what they are doing and what they are not doing. And based on what they are doing and what they are not doing and based on where your audience hangs out, think of things that you could do better and faster than them and use the channels that, that are pretty cheap, like email, organic content. I don't know if you, if you are, if you have had experience with automation, Right now, I think a good thing to include in it when you do like organic content is then like friending all of the potential audience to you and each month sending the best pieces of content automatically through automatic messages to them. So Mm -hmm. you are not kind of selling, but you're kind of introducing them Mm -hmm. to your content. And and yeah, like use all kind of a hacks that that you think might work, and 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 try to go against the 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 main things that are popular. Because if everyone is doing that, and you have a smaller budget, smaller mm-hmm. resources, it most likely will be harder for you to achieve the same success. So you need to search for things that maybe nobody is doing, or maybe. It's not that crowded there yet.
0: Yeah. Look for the blue ocean. Get out of the red ocean. Look for the blue ocean. Yeah. That's a very yeah. good takeaway. Well, Harold's finally, how can people connect with you?
1: Well, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I yes. am always open there. You can like, connect with me there, send me a message. And I'm always open to discuss marketing stuff. Okay. I, I, am, I am pretty open well, to that.
0: Well, obviously, thank you so for so much for coming on the show and, and openly sharing all these great marketing insights. Really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over the top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at Jeremy at That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B content show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting.